Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word in the midst of a tumultuous time and a week that uh, was filled with uh, all kinds of emotions for all of us. Would you unite us now around your word? May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, again, it's great to be with all of you this morning. There is a phrase that Joe read in the text that I want us to come back to, and it's our theme for worship today. It's in the name of Jesus. Wherever you are, can you just say that phrase with me? In the name of Jesus. When we invoke someone's name, when we say that we're doing something in their name, it's a powerful statement. It implies that we understand something about them as a person, that we maybe knew them well enough in the life that they led, that the actions that we're taking or the words that we're saying, we think that would have lined up with who they are, with what they're about. Many of you know that my dad passed away last summer and the law firm that he worked for bears his name. And one of my brothers works there and he has a calling to honor that name, to carry on that name in the work that he's called to do as an attorney. This week, uh, we saw uh, more and more peaceful protests around our country. We saw more people stepping up to this moment where such a spotlight is being shown on a very dark corner of our nation's history and culture. And that is our racism, our injustice, all these things that have become uh, so commonplace and should not be. And what's happened at these protests, we've seen this, right? Every single time there is a moment when someone says, say their names, say their names. And the names of those who have lost their lives, the names of those who have fallen victim to injustice, their names have been said. And I don't know about you, but for me, during our service of lament this week, it was one of the most powerful moments in our worship where uh, one of our hosts said, let's say those names of the people who are really at the forefront of this conversation right now. And so we took time in worship to say the names like George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and, and reaching a little further back in the history books, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garnier, Philando Castile, the names of men and women who have died, who have suffered, and now their names are synonymous with a movement that we hope, we pray, we long for justice and righteousness and a righting of wrongs in our nation and in our world. And so when we uh, see these names being said at a protest, for example, it honors their, their memory, it honors them. And it's an invocation of a power. In this case, in these protests, it's a power that we hope is aiming at righting wrongs and setting things right and healing our nation from these wounds. In the text that we uh, read today, and really all throughout the book of Acts, there are, there's a use of this phrase, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And in religious circles, it might be easy to kind of go, okay, that's like a an invocation, right? That's like, you know, the fairy godmother and Cinderella saying, bippity boppity boo, 
Like it's the right thing to say to kind of get the effect that you want. Well, this isn't that utilitarian of a statement because it's not our power. In other words, when the early church, when those leaders were saying, in the name of Jesus, we're going to heal this man. And in the name of Jesus, we are going to preach and teach the gospel. They weren't saying that as a means to an end. They were saying that relying on the power of Jesus to do exactly what Jesus wants to do. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about what does it look like in this history of the early church to say, in the name of Jesus, and then to watch what God does. And then we're going to try to connect the dots to our own day and say, what would it look like for us as a church, as a community, to say, look, in the name of Jesus, I hope to play a part in the work of justice. In the name of Jesus, I want to be a better spouse. How does that power directly plug into and connect with the moment that we're in so that these longings that we have for both for justice and for the kind of kingdom living that we want in our daily lives? How is that possible? It is through the name of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts. We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to walk through uh, an outline that's four different movements. They would kind of be like chapter headings in a book. And so these four movements go like this. They're going to be really brief, and then we're going to get really practical. First, we're going to talk about healing. Then we're going to talk about confrontation. After that's declaration, and then finally, confidence. Healing, confrontation, declaration, and confidence. First, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Let's set up the story that Joe uh, read for us just a moment, just a moment ago. There's two disciples that are kind of the center of this story. We'll, we'll hear about them multiple times, Peter and John. So Peter and John are going around together because Jesus, back in Mark's gospel, he sent his disciples out two by two. Ministry and our calling is never an individualistic pursuit. It is always in the context of community. So Peter and John are in the temple. They're worshiping there, and they meet a man who uh, the text tells us has been lame from birth. In other words, this guy's never been able to walk. He would have been a familiar figure to people in the temple. They would have walked by him. Some may have given him some money or some food to kind of help him out. But that was his station. That was his place, was in the temple every day asking for help. And he asked Peter and John for help. The text tells us, and then in verse, in verse 6 of chapter 3, this amazing moment, this, it, this exchange between Peter and this man, it goes like this. This is verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. The guy asked him for some money. He said, I don't have money to give you. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the text goes on to say, he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. It's a miracle. It happens in this setting that would have been familiar, but that's where God does some miraculous things, does he not? Have we not witnessed some miracles of power and provision in our daily lives, even in our stay-at-home lives right now? Something worked out that we thought would go terribly. We were provided for it in a particular way that we really needed. We've shared before about stories of families experiencing just this tighter bond, this healing, and this hope during this day. Can we not, church, long for miracles, even in the most familiar places? And our God provides, maybe not like we pictured, but like he wants. So in the name of Jesus, 
Peter and John proclaim this over this man, and he's able to stand on his own two feet for the first time in his life. And then Peter, like a good pastor, you might say, follows it up by giving a sermon and says, hey, everybody, this is what happened. This is why this man has been healed. It's because of Jesus. The miracle, the healing, it's all used to point toward Jesus Christ. And anytime we we have a moment like this in the scripture, there's almost always a conflict or confrontation. That's where we turn to the second movement, where we're talking about confrontation now. So this man is healed, people are in awe, and then Peter and John are approached by a group of uh, men, Sadducees, a member of this religious order that had some theological convictions that we'll get into in a minute. They're approached by them, and they're actually arrested. They are put under house arrest and taken away to kind of a jail. We don't know if this was in the temple or in another building. But people who opposed Jesus and opposed his power said to Peter and John, you can't do that here. You got to go. This this is not going to work. And what we need to know is this. The primary reason that the Sadducees said this to Peter and John was that they opposed this idea of the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has happened, we think, sometime in the last couple of years, maybe five to ten years at this point. We don't really know exactly. But Jesus, it's 50 days since Pentecost, or it's 50 days since Passover, so we're here at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the resurrection is catching fire. People are starting to take on the life and the ministry of Jesus in powerful ways. And the Sadducees are going, okay, we really didn't like the idea of resurrection before, and now we really don't like it because all of you keep saying, this is about Jesus, this is about Jesus, and he's dead, and you should not claim him as your power and your authority. Have you ever had that happen to you, church? You ever had someone say to you, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, and you say, you know what, that my, my faith compels me to do this. I feel called to do this right now. And they just keep grinding on you about that. They are not going to let you out with that answer of Jesus has called me to do this. Well, you're in good company because the early church experienced that too. And Peter and John say, you know what? Then you're going to have to arrest us because the reason we were able to heal this man is not our own power. It is the resurrection of power of Jesus. And the confrontation is because of the resurrection and it's because of the disciples saying this phrase, and you can say it with me again, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus will get us into trouble, church, but a lot of the time, it's the right kind of trouble. So let's look at this third movement now. We've talked about healing and confrontation. Now we're going to talk about declaration. So they spend the night in a religious jail. We don't really know a lot about that, but Peter and John, they're placed under arrest. They're taken away. Then the next morning, they're brought back out to kind of defend themselves in front of this council of people. And the question that is put to them is the same question that was asked of Jesus multiple times during his ministry. By what power, by what authority are you able to do the things that you're doing? It's such an interesting question because it's kind of rhetorical. They're basically saying, look, we can't stand here and argue that this man hasn't been healed. He's been healed. Any of the other miracles where people came up to Jesus and said, by what power do you do this? They're saying, we see the proof, but we're not comfortable with this. We don't understand what power allows you to do this. What is the source? And we should be honored when people ask us that. By what power, but like, 
how are you able to navigate this time faithfully? How are you able to be a person of peace in the midst of chaos? You know what? It's because of Jesus Christ. I take no credit for myself. It is because of Jesus Christ. Peter says to them, he gives them the answer in this little inquisition moment, in the name of Jesus. This is in uh, Acts 4 verse 10. Peter's defending what happened. He says to them, let it be known to all of you, you Sadducees, you people that don't believe in the resurrection, and to all the people of Israel, that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. It's almost like he wants them to hear again, like, hey, you remember how you don't believe in the resurrection? This is what happens through the resurrection. People are healed. People are given a new opportunity at life. As Jesus was raised from the dead, so do we see God's power to elevate and to raise people from the most unjust, unforgivable, broken situations and be lifted into new life. What Peter's basically saying to his audience is, look, there is an inarguable truth happening here. This man is healed. He wasn't walking around before, and now he is. You can't argue that. The proof is in the pudding. But what he's trying to point them toward is the source of that healing. Sometimes our most frustrating conversations with people where we're trying to get them toward a truth that we're convicted about, whether it's this current moment with racial injustice, or whether it's a belief we have, or whether it's something that we sincerely uh, hold to our hearts about Jesus Christ and what he's done, sometimes people will hear us talk about the truth we've experienced, the things that we've seen in our lives, and they'll go, yeah, 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 but that wasn't my experience. And church, I want to tell you, all you got to do in those situations is say, look, the source of this is Jesus. And he is more powerful than any power on earth. Amen. Wherever you are, you can say amen if you agree. Amen. He is more powerful than my disbelief, than your disbelief, than our sinfulness, than the people we're trying to convince of his righteousness right now. He is more powerful. So if you've ever been kind of beating your head against the wall, trying to tell someone about Jesus, or trying to live out your values as a Christian in your workplace, wherever you have found that frustration, remember, as the disciples remember in this moment, look, the source is more powerful than the argument. The source is Jesus Christ. And he is going to be victorious in this moment. And we see that at the very end of the passage today. This is the fourth little movement here where we're talking about confidence. Peter and John are set free. It's kind of a miracle too. Like the guy was healed and now these guys have been set free. Like there's miracles everywhere. It's like a Costco of miracles. Just like that, they're let go. Why? Why should they be let go? There's no reason for these religious authorities to sort of unlock the chains and let them go. What compels them to let them go? The message translation, the paraphrase of this passage, actually I think is quite helpful. This is verses 13 and 14 from the message. It's talking about the Sadducees, these religious leaders. It says this, they could not take their eyes off of them. Could not take their eyes off Peter and John, standing there so confident. Will you say confidence with me, church? Confidence. They were so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two, Peter and John, were laymen with no training in scripture, no formal education, no fancy pants seminary degree on the wall. They recognized them as companions of Jesus, but with the man who'd been healed right before them, 
seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? What indeed could be said in front of real proof, real evidence of Jesus' power? Friends, here's how I would summarize this. It is not how Peter and John stood in front of the Sadducees. It wasn't their posture. It wasn't their confidence. That was part of it. But that's not the whole deal. It was not how they stood, their swagger. It was not how they stood there. It was with whom they stood. Do you hear me, church? It's not how they stood. It's with whom they stood. They stood, one, physically with the man who'd been healed. Perfect evidence for the healing of Jesus Christ. You guys know this guy wasn't walking around before. Now he's walking around. That's with whom they stood physically. And then it's with whom they stood spiritually. They stood spiritually in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we use that phrase, when we allow that to become more and more common in our daily life, we will experience this spiritual presence, this I am with you that Jesus promised. Because we know, as, as Paul wrote, all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is happening in this moment. That can happen in your life. And I long for that to happen more and more in my own life. So I promised you we'd get practical. So here's some very practical steps as we think about how do we make this in the name of Jesus, this miracle-making power, how do, we, how do we possibly touch that and tap into that in our daily life? Well, the text that we've already touched on gives us two very brief examples. When Peter tells the Sanhedrin at the beginning, look, the reason this guy's been healed is the name of Jesus Christ allows us to do that. That's our power source. Peter is actually fulfilling the promise that was made in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. In 2.11, the people are in the moment of Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues. There's this miraculous event. And what are they doing? They are declaring the power and might of God. That's what was promised in Acts 2.11. Now Peter is doing that. That promise is true for us too, church. It didn't stop at Pentecost. It didn't stop when the pandemic started. It didn't stop when our country went into all this unrest. No, it continues. You will be able to declare the powerful deeds of God during this moment after this moment, and for the rest of your life, if we are paying attention. And then, as I just mentioned a moment ago, in, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, people are healed. When we call upon the name of Jesus Christ, people can be healed. Now, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I have talked to far more people who have said, I prayed for healing, and it didn't happen. I've prayed, I have prayed with and for people many times, and healing did not happen. And that is very much a reality in the church. A lot of people lose their faith because they prayed and prayed and prayed and someone they loved wasn't healed. And I understand that. I have lived that. And what I want to say is don't give up. If you are praying for someone's healing right now, if you are praying for a miraculous outpouring of healing over our nation between races, do not give up, church. Because the power of Jesus in the name of Jesus, it brings power into those conversations that we would otherwise find futile and frustrating and impossible. It is the name and the power of Jesus that sets us free. 
three very brief action steps that you'll get to talk about in your uh, breakout groups in just a moment. If you look through the New Testament, there are an unbelievable number of examples where the name in the name, the phrase in the name of Jesus is used. And I just want to throw out these three things to us very briefly. The first is 1 Corinthians 1.10. And this is where the power of speaking in the name of Jesus, it does something. It creates change. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you be in agreement, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. Paul wrote that letter to a church that was divided. And he said, in the name of Jesus, stop it. Work out your differences. Be together in fellowship. Church, my encouragement to us is, as a member of the Bethany family of churches, we have the incredible gift of unity during this difficult time. Yeah, we come from all different parts of the city, and we got different political perspectives and backgrounds. But one of the gifts God has given to Bethany Community Church for more than 100 years is a unity around Jesus Christ. And so I just want to say to you all, keep it up. Keep connecting with what God is doing through our church. Show up here for worship. Connect with your small group. I'll I'll be the first to admit, it is so easy to forget about events and things that are happening that are virtual. Like you don't remember until it pops up on your phone and buzzes and you go, oh, I got to go to that thing right now. Oh, goodness. I'm glad for that reminder. Make a reminder about this time. Make a reminder about your small group. We've got a prayer group that's meeting this coming Tuesday. Make it a priority to be there. Because when we gather together behind these efforts, we foster and help cultivate this unity that God calls us to. So unity is the first action step. The second action step is total surrender. Can you say that with me? Total surrender. This comes from Colossians 3.17. Paul writes this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to encourage us in the week ahead to have this mentality of, can I find a way to surrender what is happening in my life right now to God by just saying, Lord, can I do this in your name? Can I make this phone call in the name of Jesus? Can I show up to this protest in the name of Jesus? It'll change the way that you experience those things. Can I send this text message in the name of Jesus? Lord have mercy. Can I tweet this in the name of Jesus? Run it through that filter of, is this going to honor Jesus Christ in my communication, in my being, in the way that I interact with my spouse, with my family? Man, I am so far from perfect on this, but I would love to get better at saying, Jesus, can I do this in your name? Do I have your permission? Can I move forward on surrender total surrender in the name of jesus the last thing that i want to offer is from first john three twenty three, and it's the call to love one another john writes this and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son jesus christ and love one another just as he has commanded us in the name of jesus christ leads directly into loving one another Yesterday, I uh, got a call from our friend, Pastor Kindred from Paradise Baptist Church, and it was so great to catch up with him. We've been communicating throughout all of this, just, hey, how you doing? How's your congregation? But he reached out and said, 
he wanted to pass along a word of gratitude to us, to Bethany. Because so many of you have written a note and dropped it in the mail to Paradise and has just said, we're thinking about you and we're praying for you. So many of you have sent Pastor Kindred an email just to say, hey, Bethany stands with you. We love you guys. One of our seamstresses has said, hey, if you want a bunch of masks, we will make you a bunch of masks so that your community can gather again safely when it's time to do so. I love that. And I'm so proud of each of you for taking part in that fellowship, even at a distance. But I asked Pastor Kendrick when I had him on the phone, hey, what, we're going to worship tomorrow. What word would you, could I offer on your behalf? Could I carry to the people of Bethany on behalf of you, Pastor Kendrick? And he just said this. He said, you know, the word is love one another. And if, you, if you've been to worship at Paradise, you've seen the sign that they have hanging up in the corner of their sanctuary. It quotes 1 John, and it says, our mission is to exhibit the love of God to demonstrate the love of God to our community, to love one another. And I love it. It's so simple. It's so clear. But Pastor Kendrick put it this way to me, and it's this way in the text too. How can you say you love your brother or you love God, but you hate your brother or sister? How can you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister? He put that question before us, church. And I just want to say, I want to answer that question with the love of God. I want to answer that question with, I'm trying to do this in the name of Jesus. And we're not going to get it perfectly. And we're going to mess up sometimes. But our friends at Paradise, they're cheering for us to continue to do the work of God. And we're cheering for them. And we're cheering for our friends at House of Grace. They're going to be out of their worship facility for a while. And it's tough, but they are soldiering on. And they are such a faithful group of people. And we're with them and we're for them. So church, this week, what will it look like for you to take that step to love one another? I want to invite us now to begin to step into that reality by coming to the communion table. And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I don't have a table in front of me, and I won't get to welcome all of you to an actual table. But if you want to go and grab your communion elements, now's a good time to do that. You can grab whatever you like. You can grab crackers and a glass of water. If you've got a piece of toast and a coffee, a little bit of coffee left, that's your communion today. The church for centuries has gathered to worship Jesus Christ, and one of the callings Jesus gave to his church was to worship him in spirit and in truth by gathering around the communion table. So before we come to this time, let me pray for us and pray for God to bless this time as we enact his word. Lord, thank you for letting us be in study, be united under your word just now from the book of Acts. And now we pray that you would unite us even further, that you would help us to respond to this word by loving one another at the table. We're going to do this from our couches. We're going to do this from our easy chairs. We're going to do this from kitchen tables. And we're going to be all over the city and we're going to be together because of your power, because we ask that you would allow us to now have communion, to break bread and to drink juice, whatever we're drinking, in the name of Jesus. May it be so. Set apart this time. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The scriptures tell us that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, a piece of bread, and he broke it. 
and he offered it to his disciples as a servant, saying to them, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this and remember me. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he poured out the cup. He poured wine into this cup that he and his disciples would have shared together, the Passover cup. And he said, drink this cup. Take it. Do this and remember me. Reflecting on this later on in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul wrote, as often as we eat, this bread or this cracker or whatever you have in front of you, as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we participate in, we proclaim the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are, as you're ready, go ahead and take the bread, take the cup. Let us receive the good news of Jesus Christ together. And in a moment, I'll pray for us. Jesus, it is so good to be nourished by your grace. It is so good to be with your people. Thank you for welcoming us at the communion table spread across such great distances. And yet united by the hope and the prayer that we have, that you would focus our hearts on you. So Lord, as we are able, uh, use this simple meal to nourish us for ministry, for the work of justice. And as we go into our breakout groups, would you help us to just be vulnerable, to be open with our hearts and our minds and our lives, and to long more and more for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. Lord, we want to join our hearts together now as we pray the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. And wherever we are, Lord, help us to speak these words from our hearts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.